Tony Robbins talks about it. It's in a moment's decision where your destiny shaped. And to me, it was like, I, when I made my decision, it was something that was higher than me. It was like, I, I started crying because I, I was about to write down my pros and cons, whether I should or shouldn't start my own. And I just had this overwhelming feeling come over me. And it was that moment. And I'm like, this is something much bigger than I, I'm going to go for it. And then within six months, I was open. But here's what happened. Anytime that somebody was telling me you're crazy, you're, you're young, whatever their limiting beliefs were, I, it, it was all noise to me, you know, cause it was like, I just don't care what you have to say. I know in my heart and soul that I'm supposed to do this. So your opinion just doesn't matter to me. It was just noise to me. This episode is sponsored by our upcoming virtual conference called the Fast Fire to Freedom Summit, which runs July 19th through the 22nd, 2022. Are you curious about investing in real estate, but aren't sure if it's the right fit for you? Join us and other trailblazing doctors and their significant others for a four-day deep dive into their experiences building their real estate portfolios. You'll hear from them about how investing in real estate, specifically cash flowing rentals, has accelerated their journeys to fire and to freedom. See the link in the show notes for additional details. We can't wait to see you there. This week's episode is sponsored by our course, Zero to Freedom. Zero to Freedom is a seven-week online course focused on helping physicians and high-income earners like you go from knowing little to nothing about real estate investing to confidently buying the cash-flowing rentals that will allow you to earn passive income and work in medicine or your day job on your terms. Our course is open for enrollment this year from July 25th to August 3rd. Don't miss out on the incredible opportunity to start your journey to reaching financial freedom. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts, Leiti and Kenji. Welcome to another episode of the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast. We're really excited to have Nuria Rivera joining us today to talk about title and escrow. And this is a really big deal for our real estate investors out there. I know a lot of us have questions about title and escrow, and um, we're really fortunate to have Nuria joining us to give us the inside scoop. Welcome, Nuria. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into title and escrow in the first place? Yes. So my father used to be a real estate agent and his title and escrow company needed a Spanish speaking escrow officer. And so that's how I got my foot in the door. We're an immigrant family. We immigrated from Mexico. My father's family's from there. My mom's side of the family's from Spain. And so we arrived here when I was 11 years old saw my dad getting into real estate and I would hear him have all the conversations. And I, I actually closed on my first property when I was pretty young. I was 22. It was a condo and it was $120,000. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. That's just non-existent anymore. And so I got my first experience of a closing and I was curious to see what these people that helped me were doing. And then eventually that, that door kind of opened up for me and I had a dead end job. 
I was in college, 22 years old, and that's how I got my foot in the door. And I did the work for a nine-year period. So I was an escrow officer. I became the top producer of my company. And I just felt stuck. Like I didn't feel like I was growing anymore. And I had all these crazy ideas of how to really disrupt this industry in a very old system. And I wanted to bring that closing experience to life. And so uh, that that's where that's kind of the beginning, you know, and I'm not sure if you'd, if you want me to continue with my story yet, but, um, nine, nine years later, I finally launched my own. And so it's been seven years now, almost seven years that I've had my title and escrow company, and it's been amazing and it's been hard and it's been everything in between, but so rewarding. And I wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. So it's an incredible story of going out on your own and starting your own business. I'm really curious to dig into how you saw that the industry could be disrupted. What were the old systems and processes or things that you wanted to shift with starting your own company? It was more about the experience for me. So the systems and processes are very similar, right? Although I am all about simplifying and making them easier for everyone involved. And so I knew there wasn't a lot of change I could do there aside at technology and just having that more forward thinking uh, as a business owner. But for me, it was really to disrupt the way that things had been done internally as far as culture goes, as well as externally and how our clients felt when they came into a closing. And what I noticed when I was doing the work was that I only had control over my specific closing and making the people feel special, making them feel understood of the process and all the emotions that they were going through. And so all these ideas just kept coming to me. The biggest difference is just really that piece of it, that customer experience. And people are coming into our doors and they're popping confetti cannons and you know, we have the signs, we have, uh, they're cheersing, like, it's just a whole fun, vibrant experience, as well as really utilizing technology and being more forward thinking. And in my field has definitely put a dent in it, which has been really fun. So I definitely want to talk more about your entrepreneurial journey. But I imagine that about this time, people are saying, well, what is title? What is escrow? So can you talk to people about when they would typically interact with a title and escrow company? Yes. So being an investor, most of the time you guys are able to guide the transaction, uh, unless you're working with a real estate agent and they encourage or uh, guide you to that title and escrow company. So really it's from the very beginning. If you're an investor, as soon as you put something under contract, or as soon as you are going to list a house that's been now flipped. So you really have the ability to start at the very beginning. And this, yeah, this again would be as soon as you have a contract signed or uh, whenever you have a listing, whenever you want to list the property compared to the consumer and the public, they usually don't get involved until a lot later in the process. We, personally touch base with them at the beginning, but most title companies aren't as involved. And so that is something just to be aware of that most of the people that have a real estate transaction aren't as involved as you guys would be. 
And what are the main responsibilities of title and escrow? So to simplify it, it's really three main functions. So the first one is we obviously ensure the history of the title and most insurance companies are actually ensuring the future of what could happen. What's interesting about title is that we're actually ensuring the past, Mm -hmm. right? So based on exactly when that policy and that transfer properties recorded, that is the exact time and date that you'll be protected from the past up to that day. And so we're, and, and it's, you know, anything against really liens against the properties, encumbrances, boundary line issues, and any defects to the history of the title. That's what we're insuring. Uh, so that's the first piece of it. The second piece is that we're the neutral party who has the fiduciary duty to the transaction. And so instead of you guys, you know, wiring the money directly to your seller, all funds are coming into title and escrow, and then we'll disperse them accordingly. And then the third piece is that we're doing the closing. So we're uh, conducting it. We're explaining all the documents, whether they're just the title documents or whether there's a, a lender or a hard money lender. So we have that duty as well. So it gets a lot more complex than that, but those are the three main functions to simplify it for everybody. Now, for our investors, uh, what what should an investor look look for in a title and escrow company? Now, you are a top producer, so obviously, I think this is a really appropriate question for you. Like, what what makes you stand out, and what you know, why should somebody choose you know one title and escrow company over another? Yeah, that's a great question, and from the investors standpoint, I think it's very important for you to understand who's going to give you a good deal because you're flipping a lot of homes. So we have what's called a reissue rate. And I, if you don't know about it, you must know about it. And this is when you just close on a property, especially for our flipping community, you purchase a property and then typically it depends on the underwriter, but typically within a four-year period, if you are doing another closing within that same property, you can get up to 40% of a discount rate. And so I would say out of all of the things that, you know, title insurance has to offer, that's a huge perk for you. And that's something that you must know about. So any title company you're working with, I would ask them, Hey, do you have a reissue rate? So when I'm flip, flip my property, I'm getting a huge deep discounted rate versus having to pay it all over again. Uh, so that's one big perk that you, you have to ask about the second thing I would say is just making sure that title company has a good standing with the state. You know, if you're going to be protected with this company, I've seen many go under and you still, the luckily you're still going to get their underwriter coming in and the policies are, you know, held and, but it's, it's a difficult process to find who and where and things like that. And so I would just do a little bit of research. How long have they been in business Do they have even reviews? You know, that'll tell you a lot of if it's a good, healthy company that is not going to just be out of business in a year. And then, you know, how do you find uh, copies of documents, whatever you may need? And probably the third thing would be their underwriter. And so there are multiple underwriters that we can, as agents, sign up with. And at the same time, that they will insure us. And so, you know, for example, me at Novation Title, I have First American Title. That's our my biggest 
insurer, my biggest underwriter. And then I also have first national title and I have first national due to the fact that I get the reissue rate through them for P for investors like you guys. And so I would, I would find out who the underwriter is because that is where you're going to find out whether there is a reissue rate and also what paper you're being insured through. Here's the deal. Just like any insurance policy, you could be buying a very cheap rate insurance and then your protection is really limited. And so, you know, ask those questions. I would, I would, I actually wish that more people were asking some of these questions. So what does my policy ensure, you know, especially if you're investors, you're doing this consistently. This is your actual career for most of you, a part-time doctors too, right? But this is a big part of um, your investments and your career. And so I would find out what it actually covers for you so that you're clear on it moving forward. So I would say those are the three main things that I would look for in a title company, being an investor. Yeah. And as an investor, how much control do you actually have over choosing your title company? Because a lot of times what it feels like when we're buying properties is we're just being told, oh, okay, this is the title company you're going to work with. As investors, do we have that option to switch title companies or to say, no, actually, I want to work with this other one? Yeah. And, and I know that's that is always a um, little bit of the battle mm-hmm. and it depends on the state. So for example, Utah, we actually have what's called split closings and this isn't very normal. So I understand that, but you could choose to close here as a buyer where a seller could close at X title company. And so we have the ability to do that here. Um, I'm assuming in most states, because I know that most states that's not available for you, I would still, I would still ask, here's the, here's the deal. I feel that I've been able to become successful. A lot of the reasons why is because I ask, Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid to ask. And so you're never going to know if you have your preferred title company and, and coming in with an offer, especially right now where the market's completely shifting. It's no longer such a seller's market. You can't start asking for more things. So if you prefer this title company that you know is going to give you a reissue rate, just having that conversation with the seller, write it in the contract and ask. Um, and then if it's not available for you, the seller's not willing to, I would find out who it is and then have the call and have the conversation of those questions. What is my, what is my policy going to look like? You know, and, and knowing if you're, if your preferred title company, if their reissue rate won't be, at risk if you're closing the initial one somewhere else, right? Because if you know that, then when you flip it, you know it's gonna, it's still gonna stand with your preferred title company. And if it's not, asking those questions to that seller's title company, making sure you're getting a, you know, a good, a good rate. And just some of the questions we've talked about. So I know sometimes it's out of the out of our control, but I would say ask. You have nothing to lose by asking. Yeah. So a couple of really good points. I think asking for what you want, we're always talking about that, even with negotiations on the property. So I think that's a really, really great point. And then for people who aren't flipping. So a lot of people in our community are buy and hold, but they're refinancing. 
So they know they may be refinancing six months or a year down the road. That's really important that they can use a different title company when they refinance and just knowing that they have that option if they can't get it up front. Well, a lot of them are also 1031ing, right? Mm-hmm. So they're trading up for bigger properties. Mm-hmm. So they are actually selling those properties. But I guess the reissue rate wouldn't necessarily be applicable there. But um, the reissue rate you said lasts for a couple of years, oftentimes? Four years. Four years. Yeah. That's yeah. And and actually, and actually, so for for most refinances. As far as I know, we are giving a discount rate and most title companies will probably be giving that discount rate, the reissue rate already. So whenever you're refinancing and doing your burr or whatever it is that you're, you're doing, like most title companies will give you that refinance discounted rate. Um, But if you're flipping, definitely ask about it. We, I want you guys to save as much money as you, you can. Uh, But yeah, and also asking, <laughs> asking for it. Sometimes if you don't ask for it, they're just going to charge you the the full fee because why wouldn't they? Like it's more money. So make sure you're asking for a reissue rate um, when you're flipping and just to double check on your refinances as well. Wow. So since we're talking about costs, and I, I wanted to mention that we, as investors, we shouldn't assume that they're going to give you that discounted rate on the reissue. So definitely, like you said, ask. But you know, in terms of other costs, uh, other title charges, things like that. Are there any other differences between title and escrow companies or are all the fees exactly the same across different title and escrow companies? So we're highly regulated and we have different entities in different states that regulate us. But in Utah, we're regulated by the Department of Insurance and most title companies across the nation are highly regulated and specifically to fees. And so for example, we have to file our fees with the state and we cannot charge less than what we filed. And also they can do audits on our files and seeing if we somehow gave someone a, a discount. It, it's, it's a very regulated um, situation. And so I would say for the most part, there's not a ton of difference in, in costs, but these are, th- these are the things that previously talked about just that reissue it where it can make a difference. But there, for example, Southern California, your escrow fees are way larger than, than Utah. Your escrow fees are almost as much as your title insurance. And so it just depends on the market. And, you know, you escrow company, that's why there's escrow companies. Southern California is probably one of the only places that has escrow and title separated and it's due to this. So all these, um, you know, real estate companies own their own escrow companies and they're charging, you know, that's just the market. They'll charge $3,000 for just the escrow fee. Whereas for me here in Utah, it's like $400 or less. And so we, we could definitely not survive just being an escrow company. <laughs> and in most states it's that way, but it does depend on the market and just make sure if you don't live in that market and you're doing business in the market, please do your research so you can have the right expectations. But for the most part, it's not the three grand that Southern California is charging for the escrow side. <laughs> well, and let me clarify an escrow fee is what is that? What does that cover? Yeah. So uh, that's a great question. So the escrow fee is really all of our clo- like closing fee, doc prep fee, um, closing fee. So pretty much all the other fees that a title company would charge to do business. And then your title insurance is your policy fee. So 
Uh, ESCO fees are pretty much all the other fees that take to, to process and, and do a transaction. Got it. This episode is sponsored by our upcoming virtual conference called the Fast Fire to Freedom Summit, which runs July 19th through the 22nd, 2022. Are you curious about investing in real estate but aren't sure if it's the right fit for you? Join us and other trailblazing doctors and their significant others for a four-day deep dive into their experiences building their real estate portfolios. You'll hear from them about how investing in real estate, and specifically cash flowing rentals, has accelerated their journeys to fire and to freedom. See the link in the show notes for additional details. We can't wait to see you there. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Caliber Home Loans. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. Now, we've been working with Dan and his team for over five years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close the deal. Now, I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or a vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at semiretiredmd at caliberhomeloans.com to get a free consultation. All right, let's talk about title insurance because that's a really hot topic for our investors. Uh, And the concern for those who don't know is that a lot of our investors want to protect their assets. So they'll use LLCs. And and the process is you you transfer your property into an LLC using either a quick claim or a warranty deed. And the concern is, is that when you do that, your title insurance does not cover the LLC. Can you talk a little bit more about this? Uh, Can you explain uh, this issue a little bit more in depth? Because I think our listeners definitely are curious about this one. Yeah. And the reason that a lot of it won't cover is because you're moving from if you bought it with a residential loan in mm-hmm. your names and now you're transferring it to an LLC, now that's a different party, right? That's the idea. Yes. So it's such a great question. And so the answer is it depends on every underwriter of what, what the verbiage, the use of what and who means to be the insured. So here's another great question that you might want to add when you're doing your research the title companies you're preferring to work with, or if you don't have the choice in, but so for example, for some American title for me, they, the insured means multiple, it can be in multiple ways. So it's the name, the name of the person who's on the schedule. A. It can also be successors to the title of the insured by operation of law, it can also mean include successors of uninsured dissolution, merger, consolidation. So, and you know, I, I'm not gonna. I actually printed this out because I wanted to bring the actual data, uh, so I won't read through the whole thing. But so for First American, they're viewing it in a certain way. So pretty much, if you're the insured, and then you are also a part of an LLC, you're still insured. So. Now, if your LLC is including a few other people that other people are not insured, they never were, right? And so it's important that when you're buying the property, especially if you're getting a loan, obviously it's going to be whoever got approval from the loan that that person is also entitled. And that person that's included in the LLC 
all the people who are going to be a part of that company should be on that, on that transfer. And if you can't do to lending, they're stopping that you can have an, a name endorsement added to the policy so that these people are insured. So that's from first American standpoint. I also, I did my research with first national, which is my second underwriter. They talked about the name endorsement as well in that the people that would not be a problem. And so keep that in mind, but also know that different underwriters are going to have different policies. And so it's going to be important for you to have this information when you're talking to your title company and asking them the questions we've talked about. The other question that would be an important one would be in regards to this name endorsement and who's actually insured. So I at least wanted to give some, you know, actual data from what mine are doing, but you want to ask to, because they're all different. That's the thing. <laughs> There's not like one uh, rule, right? It's, they all choose to insure whoever they can. Now, having said that in my, I've been in this industry since 2006, right before the market crash. Um, <laughs> and in my whole career, I've never heard of somebody having a claim and not being paid out or not being helped because of this issue. And so I also want to bring that to light that never have I seen that. And what I've seen more of actually with my investor friends and all my investor uh, clients that we have is more on the lending side that when you switch from your name to an LLC and they're starting to get checks from this LLC that they can question and they can call the loan due. So I've seen and heard more of that conversation from the lending aspect, more so than the title insurance and not being protected or insured. Can you clarify what you mean by the endorsement? What does that mean? Yes. So an endorsement is pretty much an attachment to the policy you already have. So you have your, your main policy that will insure all of these points that it will protect you from all of these things. And an endorsement is pretty much just an added protection for you. And in this case, it would be your name, right? And it typically will cost about 10% more than the policy. So if your policy was $2,000, the endorsement would be 10% of that, which is $200. Okay. Is there a difference between a quick claim deed and a warranty deed? Because some people say that if you do a warranty deed, then your title insurance policy will be rewritten into the name of the LLC. Is that true? No, so the title insurance policy can never change from when it was when it was created. And so that that's not true, but there is a difference between the between the quick claim deed and the warranty deed. So the quick claim deed, just to make it simple for everyone, it's pretty much you saying, I will quit all of my claims hmm. and equity to this property. I quit it, I leave it. Hmm. A warranty deed you're actually saying I'm transferring this property and I'm guaranteeing that there are, there's nothing due on the property, that there is no more liens that, or if there are, everything is being disclosed and everything's being transferred. I'm like kind of warranting that. And so quick claim is like, I give up my rights and I warranty it is this transfer is being done with everything 
transferred properly. So it's more liable, if that makes sense. Like there's, um, there's more liability in that than not quick claim deed. It's like, um, I'm out. Yeah, we found that a lot of investors will choose one or the other, but also that that certain markets will have one that's you know commonly used. So, for example, in Texas, uh, warranty deeds are the most common. And so, when working in Texas, when we bought our short-term rental, we used a warranty deed. Whereas in Washington, we use quick claim deeds deeds instead. So, I wondered about all of this. It sounds like. And, and this is what we've seen in practice too, that sometimes you're going to be covered, your LLC is going to be covered in the title insurance. Sometimes it's not, but you can ask for uh, the LLC to be kind of added as additionally insured and then you pay for it oftentimes. Sometimes title companies will do it for free as well. So that's what we've seen. So now, now let me just say that, let you just, uh, just to make sure, because sometimes title companies will will add the LLC on the title, on the recorded, on the vesting, but it does not mean that they are insured under the policy. So I just want to make sure there's that distinction because we often do that. People say, Hey, can you add my wife to title? For example, it's like, yeah, we'll add her. So we'll literally create the document. And now the vesting on the title, husband and wife, but it does not mean that he is insured or, you know, she's insured under the policy. So they are two different things. So just be careful and in unknowing what's actually happening. If I wanted to make a change like this uh, or talk to somebody about this, about title insurance, do I talk directly to the title insurance company or do I talk to my title and escrow officer? Yeah, you, you usually have a title and escrow officer that is in charge of your transaction. And I would encourage that relationship to be developed because they're going to be your go-to person. And so whoever is in charge of the closing, I would definitely build that relationship and have that person be who you're calling and asking questions and making sure that they are an expert in, in that field and that they understand the investor standpoint too, because there's a lot of escrow officers who are brilliant out there who are helping, but perhaps their expertise is just residential transactions. They're not very knowledgeable as far as the investor world goes or your language of what you're talking about. You're talking about wholesaling, you know, <laughs> wholesale fees. And they're like, I don't know what you're saying. So it is important to do your due diligence and build that relationship with someone who is in the know of how the investor world works. Uh, just to clarify that question, I mean, do I have access to the title insurance? company to ask these questions? Yeah. I mean, the escrow officer works for a title company. So they like, if, if that person did not have the information, they would escalate that to either a title officer or perhaps connect you with them or an in-house underwriter. So yeah, having access to um, anytime you work with a title company, you have access to anyone who has the answer for you within that company. Awesome. Now, some of our investors uh, want the title company to hold funds uh, in escrow for seller paid repairs uh, instead of getting a seller credit, because uh, if you use a residential loan, there's a cap on how much of a credit you can get. So, so that's something that investors want to do. Uh, now, we've heard that some title and escrow companies don't like to do that. Uh, what is your kind of perspective on this? Is this something that you guys offer? Yeah. So we, we always follow escrow written instructions, right? So if we're within the contract or 
a separate documents created that tells us the exact instructions. We're going to do it now. If it's going to be a long-term thing where, for example, these funds are not to be released for a year or something close to that, we might find a different solution. We, we as holding any money is obviously keeping us liable in some way. And so, but we definitely, we definitely allow it to where, you know, hold it for a couple of months or as soon as the, as soon as the project is in completion, or as soon as that specific, um, that the person that's doing the work is finished, you know, we'll, we'll pay it out. So we, I personally don't have a problem with it in my company, but that's, that's always up to the owner or the CEO, whoever's making those decisions to say, we're going to take the liability and hold it with some, within so many days. And so that's going to be company case by case scenario. Awesome. Well, I do want to talk a little uh, about your entrepreneurial journey and go back to that because I understand that when you kind of branched out, you encountered some challenges. Can you talk about uh, that transition going out on your own? Yes. So I was 31 at the time. And I, as soon as I made my decision, I started telling everyone. And most people were actually telling me how crazy I was to wanting in wanting to do this, that it was uh, back in the days where it was like TRID and the CFP were coming in and changing regulation. And we were being given a ton of extra duties and paperwork to have available in our companies. And just more protocols that way. And so I had more people tell me how crazy I was and how I should not do this than people who were empowering me and telling me, yes, girl, you go do it. So, but at at that time, and perhaps you guys can relate to this and Tony Robbins talks about it. It's in a moment's decision where your destiny shaped. And to me, it was like, I, when I made my decision, it was something that was higher than me. It was like, I started crying because I, I was about to write down my pros and cons, whether I should or shouldn't start my own. And I just had this overwhelming feeling come over me. And it was that moment. And I'm like, this is something much bigger than I, I'm going to go for it. And then within six months, I was open. But here's what happened. Anytime that somebody was telling me you're crazy, you're, you're young, whatever their limiting beliefs were. I, it was all noise to me, you know, cause it was like, I just don't care what you have to say. I know in my heart and soul that I'm supposed to do this. So your opinion just doesn't matter to me. It was just noise to me. So I'm glad I did it, but I definitely had, and I was challenged with, you know, people talking and not only being a 31 year old, but I was also a 31 year old woman and I'm also Latina. So I'm, you know, dealing with all kinds of different conversations, but um, it just didn't matter much to me. I knew I had to do it. And so I just went for it. Yeah. And so uh, I know a lot of our, our doctors don't necessarily think of themselves as entrepreneurs when they're starting out in their real estate journey, but uh, they are really starting their own businesses. So speaking to other fellow entrepreneurs, any kind of pearls that have come out of the last seven years of running your own business that you see as most important to your success? Yeah, I love that question. Definitely investing in yourself, because if you don't keep growing, then what opportunity are you giving for people underneath you to, to grow and, and build? 
So invest more in yourself than, you know, work more on yourself than you do at your job for sure. And so I love that you guys have built this network and this platform of teaching these doctors how to do this. I I just want to honor that in you because I think it's amazing what you're doing and what you've created. And then for all of the listeners, you know, obviously they're a part of your network. They're a part of investing in themselves. So I want to applaud you for that. Cause I think that's one of the most important things is growing and learning. Uh, second piece would be, uh, just feeling the fear, but doing it anyway, you know, like, I think that's one of the biggest things I've, I've learned is, and I've seen in people who are even more successful, it's like, we still feel the fear and it's a sensation, but we're still going to take the action. And so just know and realize that every other person that you look up to, they're still having the same emotions and sensations as you. Like we're all human beings. No one's getting an exception like, oh, you, you don't get to feel this. And so just understanding that, that we all feel it, but we still take the action. And then the third piece, what would be like a third nugget, I would say is invest in your people, the people that surround you, because as we, as you grow, those people can also grow with you. And I think that's been one of the most fulfilling things for me is watching my people reach their dreams, watching them reach their goals. And so as you're starting, you're going to start building out a team and how awesome that you can all rise together. Beautiful. Really great advice across the board. I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, we always wrap up our podcast by asking a couple questions. And so the first one is, what is your definition of wealth? Ooh, I love that question. So for me, wealth has been, has been something where it, my money is working for itself now and no longer is, am I trading time for money? So that to me is actually starting to build wealth is when you can get to that point, which everyone who's listening is obviously either in it is starting it, um, or, or, you know, very far ahead of it. And so that's, that's excellent. Right. But to me, that's actually wealth creation is when you're not trading time for money. And to add to that also abundance, like I feel like abundance is a part of wealth. So making sure your health is, is great. Like if you don't have you, what do you have? Right. So health and having other areas of life being enriched to me is also a part of abundance and wealth. So that's how I would define the success in it. Love it. And what is one habit mindset or strategy that separates someone who is wealthy versus someone who is not belief, like belief and certainty that it's available for you. And we, Kenji, Letty, and I, we've had the opportunity to be surrounded by, you know, the Tony Robbins world. And we get to meet some incredible people. And we have some next level speakers that we would never have met otherwise, or have been in front of. And I'm watching these people who are billionaires, multimillionaires coming and speaking to us. And they are so certain and they believed that they could take a piece of this pie. And that is like the, probably the thing I will leave everyone with is understanding how much abundance and money there is out in the world. Like there is so much of it, unlimited amounts of it. 
And there's no reason why you and I can't take a piece of that pie and believe. And Tony says this belief is certainty. And so knowing that you can tap into it, into it, knowing that you can attract it, you can build it. So belief is definitely what I would say. And belief comes from within. I think that if anyone asked me that question, I would say the same thing. It's, it's about belief in yourself and your ability to do something that allows you to be able to do it. Because if you don't believe you can do it, if you don't even think it's a possibility for yourself, you're never going to do it. And I'm actually doing a trading with Brooke Castillo right now. And she's talking about the realm of possibility and it exists in your brain. And until you create something in that realm of possibility, it's not possible for you. And all it takes is believing it's and believing it or thinking it for yourself. And so well said, thank you, Nuria. Thank you. So beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and teaching everyone about title and escrow and also sharing your story of entrepreneurship um, as a young woman and some of the challenges you went through. And then there's some pearls of wisdom in there as well. Thank you. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And for everyone who likes who liked this episode of Doctors Building Wealth and Learn From It, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review and we will see you next time. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.